This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. My name is Laura Patton. I'm a legislative analyst for the Office of Congressional Relations at the Rand Corporation. It's my pleasure to welcome you today to this RAND briefing, uh, States versus the Federal Government, Marijuana Legalization in the United States. As you know, eight states and Washington, D.C. have legalized recreational marijuana, and more than half of states allow medical marijuana. However, marijuana remains illegal under federal law, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions recently launched a task force that will evaluate marijuana enforcement policy. So this presentation will address some of the most pressing questions on the topic, including what is happening with marijuana legalization in the United States and how can action abroad inform policymakers here? And what option did the new administration and Congress have for marijuana policy? So leading today's discussion will be Bo Kilmore. Bo is a senior policy researcher at the RAND Corporation where he co-directs the RAND Drug Policy Research Center. He is also a professor at the RAND Party Graduate School. His research lies at the intersection of public health and public safety with a special emphasis on crime control, substance use, illicit markets, and public policy. Uh, so with those comments out of the way, I am pleased to turn it over to Bo to start today's discussion. I want to thank you all for being here um, and uh, hopefully have a, a very uh, enlightening discussion about marijuana policy. As, uh, as Laura mentioned, I co-direct our Drug Policy Research Center at RAND where we work on a variety of issues related to substance use and drug policy. So I have some colleagues that are developing prevention programs for schools and communities, others that are studying different treatments for substance use disorder. We do a lot looking at the intersection of substance use and criminal justice policy. Also do a lot in terms of the economics of these markets and also policy analysis and program evaluation. I personally, for about the last 10 years, I've probably spent about half of my time kind of working in the marijuana policy space. And I want to make it very clear that RAND doesn't have an official position on marijuana. You know, we don't take positions on different bills or initiatives. I want to do basically two things today. One, kind of bring you up to speed on kind of what's happening here in the United States, and then spend the second half of the uh, presentation talking about the different options that the uh, federal government has in terms of dealing with uh, marijuana. Uh, these insights and ideas are based on a number of collaborations with people inside and outside of RAND that have led to different books and articles and reports but they're also based on experiences that I've had outside and inside the United States, uh, working with jurisdictions that have legalized or they've been thinking about uh, legalizing. Um, but uh, I want to begin by kind of taking a step back and talking about, well, why is this so controversial? Um, you know, those that are for legalization will mention a number of arguments. Some of them include, uh, you know, by, by legalizing, you're going to reduce the size of the illicit market. You might be able to bring in some of that revenue to the states and, you know, possibly the, the federal government. It would free up criminal justice resources that are spent uh, arresting and adjudicating marijuana offenders. Uh, it could also reduce uh, police contacts. And as we know, there's a large literature looking at the negative consequences associated with having a, a criminal record. But here in the United States, we also have a lot of these other collateral consequences that are specifically associated with a, uh, uh, with a drug conviction. So if you're convicted of a drug offense, it can make it a lot harder to get financial aid to go to college. Depending on where you are in the country, it can be harder to get access to public housing. It can even be, in some places, harder to adopt a kid in the future if you have a drug conviction. Um, another argument that's made is that by legalizing, you're going to have more product testing so people actually know what they're consuming, not only in terms of cannabinoids, but also in terms of molds and pesticides. And another, I mean, there are many, many arguments are made, but another one is that it, just by legalizing, it's going to make it a lot easier to study and use for medicinal purposes. 
On the anti-legalization side, there's a lot of concern with respect to public health. A lot of arguments made that uh, legalization will increase youth use, as well as those uh, who are suffering from clinical disorders. Concerns about uh, increases in impaired driving, uh, increases in emergency room visits. And it also turns out that heavy cannabis use is correlated with a lot of bad outcomes. But one of the big questions is, is, well, is it because of the marijuana use that's actually causing that outcome, for example, high school dropout, or are there some other third factor that could be you know, associated with both of those? So actually, in a lot of marijuana legalization debates, that's where, that's where there's so much, a lot of the controversy, is about whether or not these studies are actually demonstrating that this is just a correlation, or whether or not there's actually a causation here in terms of marijuana use and these outcomes. There's also concern on the anti-legalization side about the new products. I mean, at the end of the day, most of the research that gets cited in these legalization debates is based on people who were smoking lower potency marijuana in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, the products have proliferated quite a bit. And uh, so, I mean, these are just kind of a sample of the arguments that are made on both sides. And my goal for the next 20 minutes isn't necessarily to just talk about the merits of these arguments. Uh, but if, there are, if, if people are interested, I'd be more than happy to talk about what the research says about these in the Q&A or even after the presentation. But as you know, I mean, what's happening here in the United States is quite unprecedented. In November of 2012, voters in Colorado and Washington not only voted to remove the prohibition on marijuana, they voted to allow for-profit companies to come in and begin producing and selling. And you know, not even the Netherlands goes that far. There are a lot of people that think that marijuana was legalized there, so we can just kind of look to their experience to get insights about what would happen with legalization. But it's, that's not the case. I mean, yes, if you're 18 or older, you can walk into one of those coffee shops and buy up to five grams because they have an official policy of not enforcing the law against small-scale transactions. Kind of think about it being legal in the front door. However, it's still uh, illegal to grow and sell marijuana to those coffee shops. So it's actually illegal in the back door, and so they still have a large illicit market, which ends up inflating the prices. So what's happening in Colorado and Washington and now some other states is very different in that you're actually licensing businesses to do the production. And it was in November of 2014 that the voters in Oregon and Alaska also voted to remove the prohibition on marijuana and create this for-profit uh, commercial regime. What gets less attention, maybe not uh, kind of within this crowd here, is also what happened in D.C. D.C. also voted for legalization, but uh, only allows home production and, you know, and possession and gifting. Uh, but, you know, as you know, you can't walk into a store here and purchase marijuana. There isn't necessarily that commercial aspect. And that's important because so much of the debate here in the United States, I think, really focuses on this false dichotomy. We either prohibit marijuana or we regulate marijuana like alcohol. But it turns out there's a lot of middle ground options there for jurisdictions that are considering alternatives to prohibition. And one of those options would be just to allow home production. And we'll talk about some of the others uh, in a moment. And then uh, in November of 2016, four more states legalized. And so now uh, more than 20% of the U.S. population lives in states that have voted to uh, remove the prohibition and allow for-profit companies uh, to uh, produce and sell uh, marijuana for non-medical purposes. And you know, since part of this presentation is all about state uh, and federal conflicts, it's really interesting uh, a bill that just passed a couple weeks ago in California. Essentially, it would uh, create a sanctuary state uh, for California with respect to marijuana and that it would make it harder for local and state law enforcement officials to work with uh, federal law enforcement officials who are, who, are, who are targeting individuals who are actually uh, acting in a way that's kind of consistent with state law. Now, this just passed in the state assembly, I think it was a week or two ago. I don't know if it's going to pass in the state senate, and even if it does that, I don't know if the governor would sign it. 
But I would not be surprised if you saw more of these bills kind of popping up in jurisdictions that have legalized. So that is uh, something, to, uh, for those who care about the federalism issue, that is something uh, you want to pay attention to. And then there's Vermont. This is interesting. Um, so Vermont, last in early 2016, their state senate uh, passed a, a bill to essentially create a for-profit commercial legal regime. Uh, that bill went to the House and got destroyed. I think it was like 121 to 28. Um, but the conversations have continued there. And uh, a couple months ago, uh, both the Senate and the House passed a legalization bill. Uh, not necessarily the commercial bill, something you know, a lot closer to uh, what you see here in Washington, D.C., in terms of uh, allowing uh, home production as well as gifting. Um, but the governor vetoed that. Uh, that said, they have a separate veto session in a couple of weeks. So it's not the issue is not completely dead. But even if it kind of goes away, or even if um, nothing happens in June with the veto session, I expect you're going to continue to see these discussions uh, continue in, uh, in Vermont uh, when the session is back in uh, January of 2018. But, but Vermont would be interesting in that, you know, so far all this has been done through the ballot process. This is the first time you've had state legislatures actually passing an initiative uh, or passing a bill to legalize. But, you know, as Laura alluded to, this is still all illegal under federal law. And in fact, after, uh, you know, Colorado and Washington legalized in 2012, no one was quite sure uh, what the federal government was going to do. And it wasn't until um, August of 2013 that finally that the Obama administration, the Department of Justice, released a memo indicating that for the time being, they weren't going to block implementation efforts as long as states had strong enforcement and regulatory systems. But, you know, they made clear in the memo that they weren't legalizing at the federal level and kind of had a list of different uh, kind of uh, different criteria that federal prosecutors should think about if they were going to go for a marijuana trafficking case. Uh, now with the new administration, we, re we really have no idea what the administration is going to do with respect to marijuana. And so I think you should be skeptical of anyone who claims that they know what the uh, administration is going to do, because at this, at this point we don't know. Um, what we do know is that uh, you know, AG Sessions has put together a task force to look at a number of kind of different issues, and uh, one, of these, uh, one of the subcommittees for this task force is focusing on looking at policies with respect to charging and sentencing um, uh, marijuana cases. Now, it's my understanding that uh, the uh, recommendations from that, task, or from that subcommittee are supposed to be uh, given to the uh, Attorney General at late July. I have no idea of whether or not those recommendations are going to be made public. Uh, so I think, but a lot of us, are, you know, especially all this marijuana policy wonks, are paying really close attention to kind of what comes out of that. Um, but that said, the uh, the federal government has a number of options when it comes to marijuana. One of them being one option could be to crack down. Now, I don't think it's likely that the DEA is going to physically go and shut down all these marijuana businesses. I mean, quite frankly, they just don't have the resources. There are only about 5,000 DEA agents, and they're really busy right now dealing with opioids, especially fentanyl, you know, much more dangerous substances. So the optics, uh, you know, the optics of moving resources from dealing with opioids over to dealing with marijuana in states that have legalized um, would not look good. And there could also be potential, uh, you know, there'll be blowback from the states that have legalized. They're already bringing in revenues, and, you know, people are being employed. Um, that said, I want to make it very clear, I mean, it still is possible for the federal government to wreak havoc upon this industry if it wants to. I mean, for example, it could just send out cease and desist letters to, uh, uh, you know, to uh, landlords that are renting to marijuana businesses, saying, hey, look, you've got 30 days. If you don't evict this business, we're going to come and seize the property. Or the, you know, just imagine a couple high-profile uh, raids. could have a chilling effect. 
Um, there are other things that the federal government could do. I mean, there are some credit unions that are popping up to kind of help bank this industry. You know, they could actually start going after some of those credit unions. And then also, remember what the federal government did when they wanted to raise the minimum legal drinking age to 21. They didn't pass a federal law. What they said is, hey, states, if you want to get all of your federal highway funds, you better have a 21-year-old uh, age limit. So there are a lot of options that the federal government does have besides manually going in and trying to raid all these facilities. Another option closely related to this is that the federal government could use its discretion to help shape the market. For example, you know, the, you know, the federal government could come out and admit that, hey, we don't have the resources to shut this down. But you know what? If you're a business that's advertising, we're going to target you. Or if you're a business that's selling some of these high potency products where we don't have a lot of evidence about, about the health benefits or the risks, we're going to shut you down. And so they could actually shape what the market looks like in these states and other states that kind of go down this pathway. You know, another option is, is they could decide that over in the future, hey, look, if you're going to be participating in this market, we'll give you a couple of years. You need to be a nonprofit organization. If you're a for-profit organization, we're going to then target you in a couple of years. So the federal government could use its discretion here to kind of shape what the market looks like in these states. A third option is just to maintain the status quo kind of, and kind of keep the, uh, the coal memo in effect. Fourth option would be just to reschedule. As many of you know, within the Controlled Substances Act, uh, marijuana is a Schedule I drug uh, because the DEA and the FDA don't believe that, uh, uh, that the whole plant itself has a currently accepted medical use. Now, the states disagree with that. There are other countries that disagree with that, but that's the state of the federal law. Now, there are a couple different th ways that uh, marijuana could be rescheduled. One, the DEA could just have an administrative change. But two, also Congress could pass a law to put it in a, in a different schedule. Um, you know, so depending on what schedule it would be in, this could have tax implications for some of the businesses. And, uh, and also moving it from Schedule 1 definitely would make it easier for people to do research on it, both the, con both the risks and the benefits, if you were to reschedule. A fifth option is that you could still keep marijuana prohibited at the federal level, but you could try to address some of these federal-state conflicts. For example, banking. You could still keep marijuana illegal at the federal level, but try to solve the banking issue. I know that there have been different kind of federal bills that have popped up trying to deal with this, but that is an option. There are also issues related to conflicts about whether or not the states themselves can, state labs can actually do the testing and actually test the testers. So those are things that can be dealt with legislatively, but you can still keep it prohibited. Another option uh, is, and this a colleague of mine, Mark Kleiman, has kind of been pushing this, is this idea of policy waivers. You keep marijuana illegal at the federal level, but then you could actually have the states and, you know, engaging in the kind of formal agreements with the federal government, where the federal government would allow the states to do what they want with respect to marijuana, kind of as long as you know, the states were working hard to make sure it wasn't exported to other states. And if you were to kind of go down this path, that would make it a lot easier for some of these state jurisdictions to experiment with some of these middle ground options, for example, state monopoly or using a public authority. So one thing that's interesting is, so in Washington state, uh, there's a small little town called North Bonneville. And they actually have, it's essentially a government-run store. They created a separate public authority. And uh, I mean, so far, the feds haven't gone after this small little store. Um, but you can imagine if a state were to go down this path, you know, and the state would essentially be ordering its employees to violate federal law, there could be some issues. So if you had a state waiver system, it can make it easier to try some of these non-commercial models uh, in the states. And finally, uh, the federal government could legalize. I mean, on one hand, the federal government could just take marijuana out of the Controlled Substances Act and just let the states make the decisions. Not only could the federal government legalize and uh, uh, you know, also and regulate and tax, and that would be an option as well. Um, 
if the federal government were, were to do that, I mean, that would have really uh, significant implications for kind of the economics of these markets and also who participates. I have a hunch that there are a lot of, orga a lot of businesses that are kind of staying away from this industry because it's federally prohibited. If you were to remove the federal prohibition, I think you'd be much more likely to see a lot of these larger companies getting involved. Um, also, if, you, if the federal government were to legalize, I mean, we would be directly uh, violating um, or, you know, in, in conflict with our obligations to the UN treaties uh, dealing with uh, uh, um, illegal drugs. Now, for some people, their perspective on this is, hey, look, that's not a big deal. The United States isn't necessarily in agreement with a lot of other uh, UN, uh, you know, UN treaties or other international agreements. Um, there are other people that kind of look at this and say, well, if the United States just goes and, uh, and kind of ignores its obligation to these treaties, what kind of signal is that going to send to other countries, especially in Latin America, about what they should be doing with respect to drug policy? And so, I mean, we could have a whole separate discussion about the, the international implications. But the bottom line is if the federal government, you know, even begins considering this, this is going to be an important uh, topic of debate here. Um, but some, some final thoughts kind of before we open it up for Q&A. Uh, I mean, my goal today isn't to make a strong recommendation about what the federal government should do on marijuana. Um, but I do want to make it clear that if the federal government continues to sit on the sidelines, I think you're going, to con you're going to see states drifting toward this for-profit model, and we could end up with a pretty loose commercial system that would be hard to change. You know, no one knows the best way to do this, and it could be the case in 10 years we decide, oh, wait, there's something else we want to do. But if you just allow this commercial regime to be there and you get the lobbyists involved, it could be a lot harder to make changes down the line. Um, and so you know, I'm, uh, the, the big takeaway here is that for the federal government, you have other options besides either cracking down or legalizing. And so for example, you know, kind of using discretion to shape the markets or this idea about policy waivers, I hope this ends up getting featured in more debates here in DC and just realizing it's not this kind of, yeah, it's not just kind of this binary decision. There are a lot of choices that the federal government has. And as you know, like I think, and if you think you're hearing a lot about this now, just wait. I think you're going to continue to hear a lot more about marijuana in the near future here in D.C. Um, but if you're, as you're engaging in these discussions, I think it's going to be important to acknowledge the potential trade-offs. You know, there are some people who want, who you know, their main goal is they want to get rid of the illicit market. And if that's your main goal, what you would do is you would just allow a tremendous amount of supply, not put a lot of regulations on the product, and do what you can just to try to drive out those who are participating in the illegal market. Those on the public health side are a bit concerned about not necessarily having regulations here, and they kind of want to have more regulations and potentially discussions about THC limits. Um, so, and so when you hear people talk about, well, my goal is I want to reduce the size of the illicit market and I want to protect public health, realize there, there's going to be some conflicts there. There are going to be some trade-offs. And so, you know, for example, if a jurisdiction decides that they want to not allow the sale of some of these high-potency oils, uh, you know, so one claim is, you know, a lot of pro-legalization folks will say, oh, well, well, that just means there's still going to be an illicit market for that. But there are other people that would say, well, even if there is a bit of an illicit market, at least if we're not allowing it in the stores, you won't necessarily see all of the marketing associated with that. And so I can understand why people are, would, you know, would make each of those arguments, but I think that's going to be important for having kind of civil discussions about this. And the final point is that, you know, I think reasonable people can disagree about what to do when it comes to marijuana policy. And just to kind of give you an anecdote, about four or five years ago, I worked on a book all about marijuana legalization uh, with three of my co-authors. And, you know, the, um, you know, the four of us all kind of decided, you know, we're in agreement about what should be in those first 15 chapters. We were in agreement about here's what the science says, here's what the science doesn't say. But we, you know, kind of as we were working on this, we decided to add a chapter 16, 
which each had a, where we each had a couple of pages about our you know, what we thought should happen, and we didn't plan it this way. But you know, one of the co-authors was very much for legalization, one was against. A couple of the authors were in the middle, and here it was: we all agreed on the same facts, but because we had different personal values and different preferences for risk, that kind of shaped where we were on the policy spectrum. So realize, as I said, I think you're going to continue to hear a lot more about marijuana here in D.C. So as you're engaging in these discussions, realize there are a lot of options. It's important to be upfront about the trade-offs and also realize that because people have different values and different preferences for risk, there's going to be disagreement. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.